Clouse. Good evening. Hey, man. Hey, well, I, um, not we. I just got back from Antwerp. I had lunch down there and had a, a long, nice conversation uh, with one of the researchers over at Studio Dot around design ops. It made me think back to um, episode 66 where we were talking about design ops and then the conversation that spurred in the office and sort of... Uh, yeah, some of the stuff we've been talking about since then. And, and Chris, I know that you've been working with Figma, and we've been trying to get everybody in the studio over to Figma to get our operational side just a little bit smoother, get everybody on the same software. Yeah, yeah, it's it's insane. I haven't pressed save in the past two days, and, and everything's still there. I, I know, I mean, what's been funny is since we did that episode, it's become a, a topic within the studio, and then a topic also when we meet with people or outside the studio. But from that conversation we started the internal conversation around how we could align on tools yeah. because we had different teams and different people using different tools, which then caused issues if everybody was working for the same client. Some files were in Sketch, some were in Figma, some were in Illustrator. And now we're trying to rectify that by having everybody use the same design tools, which personally, I absolutely love. I don't, I mean, Chusa, uh, I know you like Figma. Um, you've given up some options from Sketch, some of the plugins. Yep. But so far, it seems to be going well. Yeah, I like it when the tool's open-ended that allows you to do almost everything because it's, it's, it gets dangerous when your tool has certain ways of doing things and it limits your creativity. And I think Figma and Sketch are both open enough for us to create whatever we feel like. But Figma now lets us work together and not worry about sharing files. So that's that's definitely an added advantage. Well, this whole conversation also got the comparison that when you're a developer in a company, you don't just walk in and get to use whatever language and whatever tools and whatever environment you want. You're provided with a set of tools and you're told to use a specific language and you're told to probably, probably comment your code in a certain way or code in a certain way that aligns with the way that the rest of the company codes. And so I love the fact if we as a design company or if designers could also get to that point where things become a little bit more streamlined and a little bit more organized. Uh, personally, yeah. I, I find that would be so much stronger as far as um, as you work forward and share files and just make things smoother and faster over time. Yeah, and you know, when you become a developer at a company, you work actually from a, a big code library that already exists, or at least when you start at a company that's not a new, fresh startup that has nothing to work from. And you start adding to those things, and I think now because we started figma with multiple teams for uh for a single client we're building up this library and it will help us uh, prevent the not invented here syndrome that the beginning of every project has let's let's reinvent the wheel let's make something new and that's all fine but actually having a library to start from can kickstart your creative process in, instead of stunt it which some people seem to think. Yeah, I still, I mean, we talked about this in episode 66, right? It's constraints. Oh, well, we've talked about it in several episodes. Constraints can actually drive progress on design and greenfield yep. or blue sky, whatever you want to call it, design. Not necessarily our thing, not necessarily something that I value as much because I think everybody can think blue sky, but the more constraints that you have, I think the better design outcomes you'll end up making. That's a broad blanket statement. Hopefully people don't take it as literal as that. But the idea. So today, you ready? I Always. Yeah. Okay. Back, well, for the last two years, two or three years, we have released trends. Uh, like every pretty much every design company does, we've released trends for the year at the beginning of the year. We try, however, to make them a little bit more tangible 
and a little bit more concrete and down to earth than uh, than I've seen some other companies do. Although I will say I'm always a fan of Fjords. I, I think they do a great job of this. But what we want to do is, given we're a little more than halfway through the year, we wanted to actually revisit the trends that we looked at for 2018 and talk about how those are actually coming to life. Because so, so many of them, or so many of them, <laughs> there's five, several of them are, you know, have quite some foundational elements that have, you know, sort of come through in 2018. So that's the topic for today. Yeah, it's basically proving that we were right. Heh. <laughs> Exactly right. I'm, yeah. Well, that's pretty much the the subtext. I wasn't going to say that, but that's the jerk way of saying it. Yes, thank yeah, you. That's probably going to be the episode <laughs> title now. We were right all along. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, so I, here's why I think it's important to do this. A lot of companies put out these trends as sort of a marketing piece, which we do also. I'm not going to hide that fact. Of course. But they never re, they never revisit it. They never go back and then really relook and say, was this a hit? or this a miss. But what I found in, in, as I read sort of analysts, is oftentimes they will go back and look and say, how was their analysis versus what actually happened over the past year or three years? And I find it to the detriment of design companies who do these that they don't actually go back and see if what they did was you know, sort of proved correct. And to me, that's, that's a reflection going forward to say when we do this for 2019, we get even better at these trends so that it isn't just a marketing piece of material, but it's actually a forward-looking piece of material that businesses could take away and start to think about and how they apply these trends to their products. Not only that, is the, the trends, the way we stated the, the, the five sentences or the five statements, they're, they're pretty much down to earth and you can understand them. But as today, I was browsing around the web to see how much of this came true and in what form. There's, there's some crazy examples that we're going to get into that I really didn't expect. So, Chus, go ahead and take us away on our first one, which is digital analytics go offline and inside your home. And by the way, we will link the original trends page in the show notes. So, Chus, take us away on the first trend. So, digital analytics or the analysis of your behavior. It, it used to be built into experiences like Facebook and YouTube. Google is tracking you so they can serve your ads. Facebook is tracking you so they can serve your ads. But tracking outside of the browser hasn't been done too much before. Of course, your phone also has a browser and, and has a connection to the internet. But what other examples have we been seeing? The craziest one I saw is uh, Tommy Hilfiger with their new line of smart clothing. And these are clothes that have a little Bluetooth device embedded in them. And it's not to make the clothes smarter, but it's actually connected to your phone so it can track if and when you're wearing them so you can save points and get discounts on new clothes by Tommy. So this is literally a loyalty system for using a certain product. And in this case, it's just wearing a stupid sweater. So I do want to I do want to correct you on one thing. You were saying that we're not seeing as much of this. I mean, Fitbit has been around for quite some time. And mm -hmm. throughout 2017, 2016, we saw a lot of IoT materials come up inside the home, which is where this trend came from, that this is only going to continue and sort of exponentially grow. And so I think we're seeing that some some ways in the marketing that you just mentioned. But yep. we're also seeing more and more sensors and more and more wearables out there. So another good example is your sleep sensor. 
exactly. So I've been wearing a Fitbit Versa for the past few months, and it analyzes lots of things. It's basically a step counter, but what I found most interesting is that it uses your heart rate at night to detect all phases of your sleep. Since I started wearing that, immediately in the first week I realized why I was tired in the mornings. Of course, I didn't sleep enough, but I figured out how little I actually slept uh, because of how long it took me to actually go to sleep and how many times at night I sort of woke up. Within that first week, I adjusted the time I go to bed. And, and since then, actually, sleep has my sleep has been improving and, and I've been monitoring it since then. I don't think this trend is necessarily a surprise to anybody, this idea that we're going to get more sensors in the home and, and more tracking. Um, and I mean, that's been coming up for a few years. So I think this was, this was an easy one, but I do want to make it clear on these trends, these aren't supposed to be the craziest out of nowhere sort of, you know, wacky ideas. These are literally trends that we are seeing coming up. And so, you know, that's why I think it's so important to mention these as trends and not sort of just, hey, blue sky craziness, autonomous cars will become mainstream next year. Like, no, that's not the point. Maybe the first outings of such a trend always seem crazy. But then the next thing that comes out is a little bit less crazy and a couple of items or, or products later, we're getting used to it. And that would, that's what builds it into a trend. If the first crazy one doesn't stop the idea outright, you might have a trend on your hands. And we would never think that we would have devices that analyze us in our house that are actually uh, sending data off to other places like a Fitbit, like an Amazon Echo. And now we all have them because they bring us major benefits that we also never would have guessed that we would get. I mean, I, I only see this one continuing, right? This is a trend that's going to keep going because the connectivity is going to increase product um, sort of sensors in the home are always going to increase sensors that you wear are going to increase. I tend to think the Tommy Hilfiger one is just a marketing ploy, mm -hmm. but man, I just like, <laughs> you know, I, I, we're susceptible to those types of things, right? I mean, I fly KLM because I'm part of the frequent flyer program. I shop at Nespresso because I'm part of their frequent whatever, you know, purchaser program. Like, you are susceptible to those things. So if I can get something at a discount through Tommy Hilfiger, well, you know, that's uh, the, the fact that I can now create a, a frequent flyer or frequent wearer membership for my clothing is, is interesting. So it could initially be marketing, but then it could stick. Yeah, let's see in a couple of years, maybe we'll be used to uh, actually getting rated for how often we use products by a company. So the next one is a good contentious one. The internet decides what's best for us. And this yep. was spurred by uh, last year, the CEO of Cloudflare, Matthew Prince, essentially woke up in the morning and decided, and this is a quote from him, I woke up this morning in a bad mood and decided to kick them off the internet. And them was a company called, I think it was the Daily Stormer, I want to say. Uh, which was essentially a white supremacy, very right-wing website. And he just simply decided that he had had enough and, you know, took it upon himself to stop doing business with them, which essentially uh, caused them not to be on the internet. Mm -hmm. And this spurred this whole idea that the internet decides what's best for us. And I think we're seeing some of that now with the way that people are pushing on Facebook to police content heavier and heavier and to the point where you see Mark Zuckerberg testifying in front of Congress in the US, you see him over in the EU testifying um, on whether that's data privacy or what's the word I'm looking for? 
uh, sort of monitoring content online. And mm-hmm. what to me is so scary about this is we are literally asking, and we've said this before, we are literally asking a private company, not a government, but a company to decide something, to decide about what constitutes good and bad content guidelines for the world. And that is, that is nuts to me. Yeah, exactly. And, and as you see, like uh, pretty recently, Alex Jones is, is in kind of a similar situation. And, and this time, I'm, I'm not sure if Cloudflare is involved in, in trying to sort of block him access to the internet, but pretty N- sure. Not that, that I've heard. It's just Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Uh, Twitter was a temporary ban from what I read. Facebook exactly. and, and YouTube just took him off. Yeah, but the thing is, these companies are now deciding it by themselves, right? So it's it's self-policing from the media channels, which is very different than just basic government rules that say on what's allowed and what's not allowed. What is hate speech and what is a media channel or, or an outlet supposed to do to that? This is companies policing themselves. And these companies are now deciding that right-wing news... Or, or conspiracy theory news in, in maybe the case of Alex Jones is what they don't want to be out there. But these companies are international. They are normally accessible from just about anywhere in the world. And right now he's blocked off for the rest of the world. And it seems that internal country, not politics, but uh, opinions of these companies are influencing the world. And it's, it's really crazy to think about this. Well, let me try to frame it this way, because we, we've talked about this. We have a second podcast called The Dark Side of Design, mm-hmm. uh, and we talk about this in Season 2, Episode 1, and Season 2, Episode 3. I think specifically Episode 3, where we talk about how governments have shifted, right? Before governments were based on geographic boundaries, and now we're trying to figure out how to handle this digital boundary. But to that extent, Chris, what you were saying is essentially a, the culture of a company can oftentimes be based off the culture and the moral principles of the country it is located in. Mm-hmm. In this case, Facebook or Twitter or YouTube are all U.S.-based companies, and therefore the morals of you know U.S. and the culture of the U.S. sort of reign supreme here. But that's not the same morals or culture that you would see in many other countries. I mean, imagine if if Facebook was um, a, a country, uh, sorry, a company that had grown up out of, you know, uh, KSA, like the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, or if it had grown out of China, right? Of course, maybe it wouldn't have grown globally then. Um, or if it had grown out of Netherlands, right? Mm -hmm. You would have different sets of moral guidelines that you may be applying. And it it feels like because the U S is such a large country, they're getting away with the idea that they are enforcing their moral guidelines on the rest of the world. But I just wonder if this was Saudi Arabia and all of a sudden they're like, no, we can't show, you know, women uh, in, in certain you know perspectives or, you know, whatever that's going to be based on their moral guidelines and laws. You know, it, that's, we would, we would be thinking you and me would be thinking, well, that's horrible, but here comes this company who controls, uh, you know, a global sort of media, social media empire. Last year, we were all kind of shocked by how real a filter bubble was or an echo chamber of your Facebook feed or your YouTube or whatever. And now this is just another layer to that, to that same thing. I thought what you said before, though, what was interesting before we went on the air about the idea that a lot of this 
policing of content is coming out of the U.S., right? Mm-hmm. Like you, you don't hear it. You don't necessarily hear it from other countries, which I'll, I'll come back to in a second. But I think that's worth um, repeating. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, if if you think of um, other forms of of like bigger censorship organs, you you have the what they call the Chinese firewall, right? That makes sure that no information goes into China. Mostly, it's not really for the other direction, but they they provide state-owned censorship to a whole country. And in Russia, they have the Roskomnadzor, if you pronounce it that way, probably not. Uh, which is also a state-owned agency that makes sure that all news outlets actually know the rules of what they're allowed to publish and what they're not allowed to publish. That's also the the agency that uh, Telegram uh, got into trouble with uh, a couple months ago. And you see that these big governmental uh, organs are dealing with issues internal to their country. But right now what's happening is that there is a big debate going on in the U.S. on how and what is good news and and good media and and what is uh, allowed speech online and what they don't want to come out. But it's being handled on the world stage. We're seeing it here in the Netherlands. We're seeing it happening. And like before we went on the air and you came up with these topics, I said they're all very U.S.-centric. Uh, Alex Jones is not really a thing here unless you're, for whatever reason, you're a fan of him. He was not part of my life until he became part of the CNN front page. No, so I, I think that's a good summary is that you have Russia and China, you know, handling these things, but they're handling it on a country level, whereas the U.S. is now handling it on a global level, which again goes back to that point that you have one company within a country that is deciding things on a global scale. And I, I'm a citizen of the U.S., you know, so it, I could say, hey, that's great because I get everything my way, but I don't think that's actually great. And <laughs> that goes back to how do you actually govern um, sort of digital space, which is a, 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 an insane, mind-boggling issue that we are not going to handle at this moment. <laughs> yeah, no. So just, just look into time. I think, we, I think we'll do one other. We don't have to do all of these. Yep. But I want to discuss one that's incredibly interesting, which is digital will crush physical. And this one is, is I love this topic because we have one of our clients, and if he's listening, he knows who he is, who, who always gets into these discussions with me because he's a massive fan of physical space uh, and how physical space is going to make this return. I'm a massive fan of digital space and how we all just need to accept that we're going to be in the matrix. And so we always have, we, we meet once a week uh, to review work, and we also get into these 30-minute or one-hour discussions on yep. this topic. So I, I, I absolutely love this topic because I am, anyone who's been listening to the podcast for a long time will know I'm a huge fan of, hey, let's just put us in the matrix right now and, and, and give up on life. Um, <laughs> you know, hopefully, again, hopefully like at the beginning of the episode, people don't take that too literally. Yeah. But I do think there are pros and cons that we can talk about. So digital will crush physical. Chris, do you want to start or do you want me to start? Yeah, let's let's start about this this new term, Snapchat dysmorphia. What's that? So good question. Uh, there was an article on CNN published uh, a few weeks ago that was mentioning people or plastic surgeons are starting to have people come to them showing selfies that they took with filters applied. So these could be Snapchat filters or Instagram filters. And these could be the ones where, you know, your face looks maybe a little whiter, or maybe you have freckles, or maybe you made your face a little bit thinner. But this situation that people want to change their face 
into the way that Snapchat or Instagram or these facial filters have made them look. And it's, it's um, I want to say it's funny, but it's actually sort of terrifying that this behavior and this facial filter, which was, you know, a few years ago, like, hey, it was so fun. And look, we have dog ears and a dog tongue. And that's funny, has now led people to consistently look at themselves and their their quote unquote imperfections or whatever subjective imperfections they see, causing themselves to want to have plastic surgery. And to me, that is a great example of where digital is just, you know, impacting the physical life in not a very positive way. Yeah, our our mirrors have become liars, right? People look more at themselves in their phone than they do in the actual mirror. And whenever they're looking in the mirror, it's to, uh, yeah, maybe, yeah, it's it's for different reasons. It's not for the, the vain reasons of taking a selfie. So there's also another article that CNN published quite some time ago that was around Instagram being one of the worst social media platforms for younger people, uh, for yeah. younger generation, because Instagram, like Facebook previously did, but now Instagram has sort of taken this over with its very visual format, has people curate and promote the best parts of their lives. Yep. And oftentimes you will scroll through a feed and you will see the best parts of people's lives without seeing all the rest of it. And I, I mean, I, I can speak for myself where, of course, I'm going to post all the photos of where I'm having fun and I get to travel and I get to go to parties and have client dinners and all these things. But then you don't see the part where I'm sleeping at the airport because, uh, you know, we couldn't afford a hotel room or where I'm working for 12 hours or, you know, I wake up at 6 a.m. and and work. You don't see those parts because I don't post them because they're just not interesting. They don't make you look interesting. But you don't actually stop to think the consequences of what happens when you post all of these things and how someone else is going to say, man, look at this life that this person's leading and why isn't my life that good? And all of a sudden you get depressed. And that's a, it's a pretty rough situation that again, we've created by a tool that was meant to share and we've ended up sort of driving people into depression. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like you were saying before, you can take it one step further, right? Everybody has a hobby or, or a thing that they really want to be good at that they practice a lot. And through these channels like Instagram, we can actually follow the people in the world that are the best at whatever this is. Is it sketching? Is it videography? Or maybe even workouts? You were mentioning The Rock. In the pre-internet age, when when I was a young boy, um, you might have seen a a bodybuilder or whatever and got really inspired and then you bought a book or you saw him on TV sometimes and that actually really motivated you to get better and to also become a bodybuilder And, and it might actually happen because of this motivation. But now enters real life and you see workouts of this guy every day and you see that he's super beefy and that he's very successful and that he can do a hundred times more push-ups than you can. And you see this daily because this guy just keeps on going and he will always be the best. And because of this kind of daily comparison, it becomes really, really hard to play this game of catch-up. And I actually think that this this overflow of success stories of other people will make it impossible for us to feel like we can ever catch up with what we want to be. Well, you said something. I've, I actually wrote this down because you said something before we went on the air that I thought was great, which is we went from inspiration to depression, yeah. right? We, we went from this idea that, you know, let's say Instagram or these other platforms, this idea that I could inspire people as all of a sudden creating a very glaring reality that it is depressing people. 
And that's, you know, it's like this, we, we built this monument, but it just fell over and crushed everybody in the town square. I'm sorry. <laughs> so yeah, I, I don't know where it goes from here. So there's this, uh, this new app released called uh, Daisy. And it's been made by Maisie Williams, the actress from who plays Arya in Game of Thrones, and a couple of her friends. And it is an app which is a social network that looks a little bit like Instagram, but it's supposed to be a meeting point for artists or, or people in the creative space who want to do projects with people together and who want to get advice from each other. So the whole idea of it is that it's a social network that is as visual as Instagram, but you're supposed to go on there and give each other positive comments or help out or give people context of other people who can help out. And then together you will make art projects, music projects, video projects that you upload there and share so other people can learn from it. So I, I, I do think that digital can crush physical doesn't have to always be that dark. Because now you can actually have a connection with a person who is in a different country, in a different time zone, and still be helping each other out and motivating each other. So I definitely think that this negative trend that we see can be turned to a positive if we just focus our energy on the correct channels. You know, that that is very true. We are hitting a lot of negative or dystopian aspects. That's just personally what always interests me. So that's mm -hmm. the... Um, supporting material that I tend to collect, but yeah. digital re replace because and also framing it digital will crush physical, right? Digital replacing physical could be a very different thing. Yeah, or digital enhancing physical, right? I mean, we're called let's fix things, so let's see how we can actually make sure that this this digital thing that we keep on talking about is is improving our lives. It's it's totally possible. So yeah, based on the things that we've talked about today the idea that analytics are becoming more pervasive, they're becoming more normalized. You know, I, that's that's quite a positive thing. As you said, with your sleep tracking, it's making you become a better uh, person as far as your sleeping habits and getting healthier. Yeah. The internet decides what's best for us is not necessarily a good trend, but what can come out of that are the types of discussions that we are having where how do you actually govern a digital space? And those are conversations that need to happen. So yeah. I tend to look at that as, as the very positive side. And as far as digital will crush physical, yes, to your point of enhancing, I think there's a lot of around augmented reality or virtual reality that we are going to enhance the world around us in ways that we're just starting to imagine right now. Mm -hmm. So I, I definitely don't want people to leave this podcast thinking that, oh man, like everything is falling apart. I'm just going to buy a bunch of plastic and set it on fire and continue to destroy the earth. No, that's, that's really not the case. It just so happens that you know, myself and Chus will get into these very bleak conversations about what could happen, but we also have very positive conversations about what we hope will happen. Exactly. Uh, so I, I think the last thing on the digital will crush physical that I, that I think has become incredibly interesting around Instagram is you have CGI models. So there's mm -hmm. two that, that I sort of uh, watch and they pop up. One is, I think it's pronounced Michaela, M-I-Q-U-E-L-A. Um, mm -hmm. so you guys can look it up. And the second one is named, okay, I'm going to try to, uh, Shudu Graham. And both of these are Instagram accounts. And, uh, Michaela is sort of looks much more CGI, but there's several pictures on the Shudu Graham account that actually feel quite human. And what's interesting is both of these, um, people, quote unquote people are CGI, 
they're not real, but they are used to promote a style or in the case of Michaela, promote clothing that you can buy. So all of a sudden there's this idea that uh, you have accounts that you follow that are popular that aren't even real. Yeah. And, it's, uh, you know, of course, my brain will immediately go to the, okay, this is just one more way of having people see how their lives could be better. And now we've gone past the realm of, look what The Rock does. And we've gone into, now we can just completely make up situations for somebody. <laughs> look know, at what, which look is at what the dream yeah, version of The Rock could do. <laughs> exactly. So, I, I, you know, I, I, the jury's out for me on, on the positive, negative aspects of this. I just think it's incredibly interesting that we have people who are not real that are becoming celebrities. And that, that's, that's sort of blowing my mind at the moment. Yeah, there's even a, a Japanese CGI uh, music star. It's 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 not per se a new thing, but it's it's definitely around to stay. So, man, we have gone so long over time. Normally, we <laughs> try to keep these at 20, uh, 20 minutes, but we are just uh, we are just going over. So, I think it's good to wrap it up here. Uh, and I, I I think that summary that we do look at the positive side of things is good. We will link the trends report in the show notes first. Yep. Uh, second, you can always go to the Raft website. If you go under the section um, that's called Think, you'll find them there. And then you can watch the videos or read the text on each one of those and sort of decide what we're going to do. But at the end of the year, we plan to do a little nice wrap-up on what happened that supported these, so basically extending this podcast. And of course, we'll also continue to the trends of 2019. Yeah. But for this uh, for this episode, I think we're good. Chris, uh, anything else to add to this? Nope. No, I'm good. Okay, man. Well, nice talking to you, and we will talk again next week. Bye, man. Later. Later.